Welcome to He is God and I am not, a podcast devoted to equipping saints with the tools needed to defend their faith. Our Twitter handle is at He is God, I am not. My name is JP and I'm your host, so let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of His God, I Am Not, and as you heard in the intro, my name is JP, I'm your host, and we are continuing our series on the Catechism as written or edited by uh, Keech. So far, we have discussed the foundational truths in the first three Catechism questions. Those three Catechisms ask the following, who is the best and first of beings, what is the chief end of man, and how do we know there is a God? The answers to those are God is the first and best of beings, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, and that we know there is a God because of the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God. However, his word and spirit only effectually reveal God to us for our salvation. So we talked about general um, revelation versus special revelation. So we spoke about those things. You may have noticed that we, we provided answers to the questions in the previous catechism. Those answers came in the form of scripture. So when we ask a question and answer it with scripture, one of the criticisms that Christians might get is that he or she uses circular logic as a basis of our belief system. I want to point out to all believers that when you use scripture to answer questions, that when you hold the Bible in your hands, whether it's in print format, electronic format, you're not holding a single book. You are holding a small library of 66 books in your hands, written over a span of 1400, 1500 years by 40 men. These books are unique. They're non-collusory. And by non-collusory, what I mean by that, these books are written without collusion between the writers without secret meetings to make their stories match some sort of conspiracy to put these books together. Indeed, even today, um, it's difficult at best in our age of electronic communication to collude together successfully. Imagine how much more difficult it would have been from the time of 1300 years before Jesus was born to the first century after his resurrection when the books were put together Imagine how difficult it would have been to collude together to write a collection of 66 books, let alone the fact that writers would often usually or often die by the time the next part of the book was written by the next author. So not only can we and should we rely on the integrity of the scripture, both factually and logically, and by logically I mean to render moot or invalid the claims of using scripture as circular logic, not only should we rely on the integrity of Scripture, factually and logically, we should also hold a high view of Scripture in terms of how God himself views, uh, views Scripture. The Bible says in Psalm 138, 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Why did the psalmist say that? For you have magnified your word above all your name. Think about that. The psalmist says that God has magnified his word above his name, all his name. So if God magnifies his word above his own name, how much more should that cause us to hold a high view of scripture? 
An important reason it is so needful to hold a high view of Scripture is that such a low view of Scripture exists today. By that, I do not mean that the world holds a low view of Scripture. I'm referring to those who claim to know Christ as Lord. A low view of Scripture is rampant in our homes. It is rampant in our seminaries. It is rampant in our churches. It is rampant in our pulpits. And we will say with our mouth, we will attest and verbally assent to the authority of Scripture. We will agree that Scripture is without error. And that teaching is known as biblical inerrancy. And I hold dearly to biblical inerrancy. So many people do say, yes, the Bible is without error. The verbal assent, though, that the Bible is inerrant, that the Bible is beautiful, that we should live by it, those verbal things that people say are not matched by their personal actions. People are intellectually agreeing to the principle, but they're not living it out. And they're holding to an unpracticed, an unpracticed theory. This has given rise to the term theoretical inerrancy. And I want to read a quote from Tom Askall from The Sword and Trowel. And he says, quote, Many Southern Baptist leaders and pastors of today affirm biblical inerrancy in theory, but not in practice. That is, they will make the affirmation, sign the Baptist faith and message, abstract a principle, or Chicago statement on inerrancy without hesitation or mental reservation, and then will go right on thinking and living in ways that are contrary to the word. They are theoretical inerrantists. What do I mean? I mean that the spirit of the evangelical inerrantist age in which we live is increasingly characterized by a satisfaction of verbal affirmations and signatures on documents rather than by lives lived in humble submission and conformity to scripture. What good is an inerrant Bible if you refuse to read and heed it? Who cares if a person has signed 10,000 affirmations of inerrancy and orthodoxy if he does not seek to order his life according to the plain teaching of scripture? And that is a quote, again, from Tom Ascoff in The Sword and Trial. And I ask again, what good is it indeed if we say the Bible is inerrant, but we don't live by it? I am convinced, though, that once we understand how God views Scripture, it will go a long way to solving the problem of theoretical inerrancy. And that is precisely what the next two catechism questions address. We will discuss question four today and question five in the next episode, but the two questions are so tightly linked that I really feel the need to read them both together. And question four of the Catechism is, what is the Word of God? Question five, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? So we will discuss the fourth question in the Catechism. Question four, what is the Word of God? Answer, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, being given by divine inspiration, are the Word of God the only infallible rule of faith and practice. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Isaiah 8, 20 are the scripture references Keats provides. Let's read those scripture references. 2 Peter 1, 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Isaiah 8.20 To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So in these references that we were provided in the catechism, 
there is a definition of scripture provided to us and this is important because there are non-christian religions that have their own writings and in the view of those followers of those religions their writings are sacred and holy for example islam has the quran hinduism has the purana Itahasa and the four vedas jainism has the agamas shintoism has the kojiki so there are different uh, scriptures and holy books and writings that the adherents of different religions have. So it's important then to make sure that we're defining what we mean by scriptures because God has provided knowledge of himself in scripture, just not the scripture that I mentioned in other religions. So if we don't define scriptures properly, then people can claim any so-called holy book is God's scripture. So yes, a proper definition of scripture is important. So Keith does that. He defines scripture when he writes, the scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, being given by divine inspiration of the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And Keach emphasizes the unity of both the Old and New Testaments, and he provides the wording that the Old and New Testaments are inspired. And he further states that it is only those sets of scriptures that provide the rules of faith and practice. And he gives scripture for that statement. One thing before we move further into this topic of scripture is one thing you've probably noticed by now in these podcasts is that we have shown how exclusive the Christian faith is. For example, there's only one God. There's only one way to know him and that is through the special revelation of scripture and there's only one Bible through which we can know him. This exclusivity that I'm talking about, it is rather uncomfortable for some people to accept. Let's just come right out and say it. The world hates this exclusivity. Our world is all about inclusiveness of everything. All religions are way to God. All viewpoints are equal. Everybody's going to heaven. No. None of these statements are true when viewed in light of God's scripture. However, it is in these exclusive scriptures that we learn Jesus' death, his atoning work, is sufficient to save all of mankind. It is man's sinful nature that rejects the idea of there being an exclusive set of scriptures, and that those scriptures instruct us in the exclusive way of knowing God. So how did these scriptures come about? The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.21 that the scripture is willed by God. Note the first scripture of this catechism says, For the prophecy came, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Remember again that the scriptures were written over a span of 1,400 years by more than 40 men. The natural hand of man was the physical tool that God used, penning the words as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Each writer's character, his style, his personality, shines through, and yet each word that he wrote is without error, perfect in its writings. Now let's reread that verse with some key words adjusted to modern English. No revealed truth came by the initiative or desired wish of man, but men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These scriptures as written, and by that I mean the Bible as written, they show man warts and all. 
They're not positive thinking stories. They're not stories about how good you are. They're not stories about how you can have your best life now. They contain the fall of man. They contain the first murder. They have stories of cowardice, marital affairs, conniving scheme, political theater, and depravity. It's quite a story of itself, but it also contains heroism and faith and miracles and through it all, the faithfulness of God rings through the scriptures. And these scriptures are the testimony of God about himself intervening in the affairs of man and conducting the affairs of man to bring himself glory. No human writer, if he wished to draw a crowd, would write a series of books in such a way. The raw honesty of scripture, the raw honesty of the Bible, is one way that we know that this revealed truth did not come from the desires of man. The Holy Spirit weaves a consistent thread through the 66 books to reveal the faithfulness of God to a fallen human race. And it reveals the faithfulness of God in spite of man's fallen nature. And I've heard it phrased this way, history, whether it's in the Bible or not, history is indeed his story and when we see it in scripture it even more so so not only is scripture god willed that god willed scripture into being it is god breathed i want to note the second scripture given to us second timothy 3 16 and 17 and i accidentally skipped over 17 when i read it the first time all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We say scripture is God-breathed because that is the literal translation of the Greek word for inspiration. And that word is theonoustos, and it's actually made of two Greek words, theo for God and noustos for breathed. Um, so scripture is the breath of God flowing from him to the mind and hand of the writer. This breath of God is the person of the Holy Spirit. It was he who breathed the word into the mind of the scripture writers. So when the Apostle Paul wrote the words, it is God breathed, we need to understand that authority is inferred in that statement. What is God breathed scripture authorized to do? It is authorized to be good for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, and every good work. I want to do a quick word study, and I made myself a table, and I'm thinking about how I can make this uh, document available to you if you want to access it. But I made a quick table of this verse of some key words in this passage. And those key words are doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The word doctrine means teaching instruction and precepts and the application is that the Bible is indeed the authoritative source from which we can teach about God and God's law doctrine reproof is another way of saying proof that thing uh, that by which a thing is tested a litmus test or a mathematical proof and it's saying that the scripture of God is profitable for reproof. In other words, we can use scripture to valid, validly prove scripture without having to resort to an outside source. Scripture backs itself up because it is not one single book. It is a library of independent freestanding books that come together in a cohesive whole. Um, another word, correction. 
the word of God has authority to correct. So what does that word correction mean? Um, it means to restore to a right state. Part of the word, the Greek word for correction is orthosis. It's where we get our word orthotics. If you wear orthotics, they are foot correction devices. And that's what this word means. It means to restore to a right state, to be corrective. And so scripture has authority to bring a person to correction, to save them from damnation and correct them to a state of righteousness. Scripture has that authority to do that. Another word that we see is instruction that is profitable for instruction. Now, that Greek word means training as if in the training of children at the feet of a teacher. Sometimes the same word means chastisement. And scripture is a gentle teacher or it can be stern, but it does have the authority to train the mind of believers. And finally, the other word we want to study is that it's profitable for every good work or every uh, work of righteousness. And the meaning of that is the doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state of being approved of God. And it is in the Bible that we find how we can be made right with God. So we see from this word study, very quickly we went over this, that God breathed scripture is authoritative as a source, as a proof, as a means to be made righteous. It's authoritative as a teacher of the heart. It has the authority to make you right with the one who gave us the word, the Bible. And finally, in this catechism, God's word is the means by which we can possess spiritual vision. Notice this passage, Isaiah 8:20. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now this passage is able to stand on its own, but I think context is crucial to a proper understanding of its meaning. Isaiah was warning against those who told Israel to seek after mediums and wizards, which was a violation of God's law. And in verse 20, they were instructed instead to look to the law and to the testimony of God. Anything at odds or in conflict with God's word is darkness. Those who are at odds with God's word are in darkness, so contrary to that, God's word is light. If we are to bring a light to the darkness around us, it will be because we hold forth the word of God and esteem it highly. A high esteem of Scripture, the Old and New Testament, the Bible, will lead us to obey it. Obedience will bring about a change in the hearts and lives of those who live it, and the Word of God will be bountiful. The Word of God is God's revelation of His will to man, and it is by His Word He has seen fit and proper to reveal Himself to us, and indeed, that He is God. He reveals that He is God, and we are not, and let us all be thankful for that. And until next time, may God keep you and bless you. Thank you.